بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما Last week we left off with the story of how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala destroyed Abraha and his forces when they came from Yemen to Mecca to destroy the Kaaba and how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala destroyed Abraha and destroyed his army and protected his house, the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Kaaba. And we mentioned that Abraha was the ruler of Yemen, but actually he was a Habashi. He was from what is known in modern times as Ethiopia. And we spoke about how the Ethiopians, how the Ahbash took control of Yemen. And Abraha was the ruler of Yemen at that time. But when he left to Mecca, when he left with his army towards Mecca with the intention of destroying the Kaaba, he left his son, Yaksum, Yaksum ibn Abraha, in charge of Yemen. So even after Abraha and his army that he had taken with him to Mecca, even after they were killed and they were destroyed, the country of Yemen or the land of Yemen, it still remained under the rule of the Ahbash. It still remained under the rule of the Ethiopians with the son of Abraha, Yaksum, being in command. And when Yaksum died, his brother, the brother of Yaksum, his name was Masruq ibn Abraha, he took control of the kingdom. So the family of Abraha or the son of Abraha was still ruling the kingdom of Yemen. And at that time, during the time of Masruq ibn Abraha, there was a young man, his name was Saif ibn Viyazin. And he was from the original royal family of Yemen. He was from the family of Rabi' ibn Nasr, who we spoke about before. And he was from the family of the Tubba, the original Yemenis who ruled Yemen. So he had royal blood in him. He was from the royal family and he was a pure Yemeni. And his name was Saif ibn the Yazin. And of course, you know, him seeing his country and his people occupied by these Ahbash, by these Ethiopians, he and his people, the Yemenis, they don't have any say in what goes on in their own country. And they have to watch these foreigners rule their land and make their laws and make their rules and they have to be subservient to them. So Saif ibn the Yazin, he, he was very, very upset with the situation and he wished to find a way to get the control of Yemen back to the Yemenis and preferably himself because he was from the original royal family of Yemen. So he wanted to think of a way how can we take the power back from these Ahbash, from these Ethiopians who have occupied our land? So he was able to gather some support from the Arabs, but not nearly enough to overthrow the government of Masruq ibn Abraha. There was no way that he could face the army of Masruq. And he knew that. 
He knew that, no, this is not even a battle that's worth fighting. I have some support with the Arabs, but there's no way that we can face Masruq and his army. So he thought, okay, who else can I ask for help? Who is more powerful than the army of the Ahbash? I need to find a leader or a ruler who is stronger than these Ahbash. And if I can get them to help me, then we can take over this land once again. So he took a trip to Sham. He went over to Sham, the greater Syria area, where he met with the Qaisar. And the Qaisar was in Sham. And he asked the Qaisar for help. He said, you know, these Ahbash, they took over the land of my forefathers and they occupied our land and they're still ruling our land. I want to get what is rightfully mine. I want to get the land of Yemen back to control of the Yemenis. But the Qaisar, he didn't want to hear any of it. Because if you remember, the Qaisar was actually the one who sent a letter to the Najashi in Habasha to go over to Yemen and fight the Yemenis. This was actually from an order from the Qaisar himself. Because we talked about what happened in Yemen and how Dhu Nuwas, who was the son of the Tubba, and he was a Yemeni, how he killed the Christians in Yemen by digging trenches and throwing them into those trenches of fire. And when the Qaisar heard of this, and the Qaisar was a Christian, the Qaisar, he sent a letter to the Najashi of Habasha to send an army to Yemen to get revenge on the Nuwas. And that's what they did. And that is how the Habashis took control of Yemen in the first place by this order from the Qaisar to the Najashi. So now, when Saif ibn Ziyazin, he goes back to the Qaisar and asks for help to get, our, to get his land back, then of course the Qaisar is not going to help him. Because the Qaisar is the one who sent the Habashis to Yemen in the first place by ordering the Najashi or by requesting the Najashi to send his army to Yemen. So the Qaisar didn't want to hear anything from Saif ibn Ziyazin. And he didn't help him at all and he didn't give him anything. So now Saif, he's upset and he's thinking, you know, what, what can I do? I need to do something to get the land of my forefathers back. So he thought at that time, look, the Qaisar, he didn't help me. The best bet I have is to seek help from someone who is from the Arabs. I'm not going to seek help from the non-Arabs. I will go to an Arab and seek help from him. So he went to Iraq. He went to Iraq and the king there at that time, he was a man named Nu'man ibn al-Munzir. Nu'man ibn al-Munzir. And he was the king and he was a big king there in Iraq. And he was originally Yemeni as well. He was originally Yemeni, but he was settled there in Iraq and he became a king there in Iraq. So when Saif ibn Zi Yazin went to Nu'man ibn al-Munzir in Iraq and asked him for help to get the land of Yemen back under Yemeni control, Nu'man ibn al-Munzir, he understood the plight of Saif. And he said, you know, I understand your situation and I'm not unwilling to help you. I would help you if I could help you. But you know that army of the Ahbash, that Habashi army, it's a really strong and it's a really big army. And you know, my army and my people, it's not strong enough to confront that army. I know 
my li limit, I know my power, I know the power of my army, and there's no way that we would be able to defeat that army. But I have a suggestion for you. If you just stay with me for a little while, every year I take a trip to visit the Kisra. The Kisra, that's the leader of Persia, the leader of the Persian Empire. He said, every year I and a group of my people, we take a trip to visit the Kisra. If you want to stay until that time with me, you can stay and then we will go together to the Kisra and you can ask him for help. And the Kisra, he was the most powerful man in the world. And his army was the most powerful army in the world. That was the superpower of that time. So this is what Nu'man ibn al-Munzir suggested to Saif ibn the Yazin. Just stay with me here. When the time comes for us to go and visit the Kisra, which we do every year, you come along with me, you meet him, you talk to him, you explain to him your situation. Maybe he will offer to help you. And if he helps you, that army can easily destroy the army of the Ahbash. So Saif ibn the Yazin, he thinks that this is a good idea. This is a smart plan. So let me stay here in Iraq. And when Nu'man is going to visit the Kisra, I will go with him. And I will explain my situation to the Kisra himself. So when that time came for Nu'man ibn al-Munzir to go and visit the Kisra, Saif ibn the Yazin accompanied him. And they went to the palace of the Kisra. Now like we said, the Kisra was the most powerful man in the world at that time. And his kingdom was the biggest and most powerful kingdom of that era. So he was very, very well respected and feared, even by other kings. Other kings didn't consider him to be their counterpart or their equal. Other kings considered him to be their king. And that's why he was also known with the title Shahanshai which means in Persian, which translates to Malikul Muluk or the king of kings. So even the other kings, they considered him their king. So they didn't consider him to be an equal counterpart. Rather, they respected him more. So they went to his palace. Now the way that he would present himself is that anyone who came into his majlis, anyone who came into his gathering, they would come into his gathering and he would be behind a curtain. So the people are all here in the room and they would not be sitting down. They would be standing. They would not sit in front of the Kisra because this would be considered in their, in their belief a sign of disrespect. So they would all be standing and the Kisra would be behind a curtain and he would be on a, a throne and that throne was surrounded with jewels. There were jewels all over that throne and he had a huge crown. The Kisra, he had such a huge crown. And it is said that that crown weighed 90 kilograms. The crown weighed 90 kilograms. Now you're thinking, how can anyone put a 90 kilogram crown on their head without being crushed? And this is a good question. The way that he used to do it is that this 90 kg crown, it would actually be suspended with gold ropes onto the ceiling of the palace. So there were these gold ropes coming down from the ceiling of the palace and on the bottom of the ro those ropes, the 90 kg crown was suspended in such a position over his throne 
that he would position himself and sit there and the throne would be right on his head without putting any pressure on his head. So he had this huge crown suspended from the ceiling and he had this huge arsh, this big throne with jewels all around it and he was behind this curtain. So the people, they would come and they would wait for that curtain to be opened. So when they came, Nu'man ibn al-Munzir came and Saif ibn the Yazin had accompanied him as well. So they were there standing with all of the other people to see the Kisra. So the Kisra sat on his throne. He had the crown suspended from the ceiling on his head and the curtain was opened. And when that curtain was opened, everyone, all of those kings and whoever had come to visit the Kisra, they would go down in sujood to the Kisra. They would all go down into sujood to the Kisra. So when Saif ibn the Yazin was here among this gathering, all of them made sujood to the Kisra except Saif. He didn't make sujood. Rather, he just bent his head. He just bent his head lightly, but he did not go down into sujood. So when the Kisra saw this, he saw, and he was expecting everyone to make sujood to him. But he saw that this one man didn't make sujood to him. So he became very, very angry. And he said, Man Who is this fool who didn't make prostration to me? So they brought him to the presence of the Kisra. And he was asked, why didn't you make sujood to him when everyone else did? And then Saif said, it's just the worries that I have in my mind. You know, I was preoccupied thinking about my situation. And that's what distracted me from making sujood to you when everybody else made sujood. So then the Kisra asked, what are these worries? What are these concerns that are preoccupying you so? And then he saw that as the opportunity to tell his story. That his ancestors were the kings of Yemen, the rulers of Yemen. And then these Ahbash, these Ethiopians, they came and occupied their land and they occupy our land to this day. And I'm just thinking of a way to get my land back for my people. And I am from royal blood as well. So the Kisra listens to Saif tell his story. So he consults his advisors about this situation. He asked them, what do you think? Should we help this guy out? Should we help him get his land back from the Ahbash? And the advisors say, look, you can do it easily. I mean, our army is so much stronger than their army. But what is the benefit for us in doing that? Why do we need to put ourselves on the line to help out this guy? And the land of the Arabs, it is a land with no khairat. There's no good in that land. It's not an agricultural land. It's not a land with any type of riches or anything. Why do we need to go and put ourselves on the line, get some of our soldiers killed in order to help out this guy? This is none of our business. So the advisors advised Kisra, don't help him out. Let him do whatever he wants, leave him. But, you know, we don't need to help him. So the Kisra told Saif his decision that no, we're not going to help you out. But just so he wouldn't leave empty-handed because the Kisra felt that if he sent Saif away with nothing, then Saif would talk about the Kisra. You know, I went and I visited him and I came back with nothing. And that would be bad on the reputation of the Kisra. They had this reputation that they wanted to uphold as people of generosity, 
You know, someone comes to you and you will never let them leave empty-handed. So this was the attitude of the Kisra as well. So he, he knew that he couldn't let him go empty-handed with nothing because he didn't want his own reputation to be harmed. So he said, I'm not going to help you by sending an army with you or anything. But here, take 10,000 silver dirhams. Take 10,000 silver dirhams. And he gave him 10,000 silver dirhams. Now this is a huge amount of money. 10,000 silver dirhams was a huge, huge amount of money. But this is not what Saif ibn the Yazin came for. He didn't come for money. He came to get help in reclaiming the land of Yemen. So he thought of a plan. Once he had this money with him, he had these 10,000 silver dirhams. He thought of a plan to still get the help of the Kisra. So he left the palace with those 10,000 dirhams. And then he started just throwing them out in the street like that. And the people, they saw and they started jumping and gathering around and trying to catch whatever they could. Imagine a guy going out in the street throwing out $100 bills. You can imagine what type of a scene it would be. So that's the type of scene it was. Safe is throwing out these silver dirhams and people are jumping and trying to catch and get whatever they can. So when this news came back to the Kisra, that this is what this guy is doing with the gift that you gave him. He's throwing it out in the streets and people are collecting it. Then the Kisra thought to himself, there is something about this young man. There is something about him. Bring him back. Bring him back. So they brought him back to the presence of the Kisra. And the Kisra asked him, this is what you do with the gift that I gave you? You throw it in the streets like that? And then Saif implemented the plan that he had thought of. His plan was to bring out the greed in the Kisra. He knew that these are greedy people. So his plan was to bring out that sense of greed and use that sense of greed to get him to send his army to help him out. So what did he say? He said, yeah, the reason why I'm throwing around these silver coins is because this is of no use to me. You know, in my country, in Yemen, we have mountains of gold and silver. We have mountains that are made of gold and mountains that are made of silver. So what are these coins to me? It's nothing. So then the Kisra said, what? You have mountains of gold and silver in Yemen? That's not something that I ever heard before. So his greed is coming up now. Like, wow, if, if we actually go to that land and help him out, and we take control of that land, we will have mountains of gold and silver. So he goes to his advisors again. The Kisra goes to his council as, again and asks them for advice. He says, I found out from this guy, from Saif, that there are mountains of gold and silver in Yemen. So maybe we should actually go and help him out. So the advisors say, look, I, we have a good idea for you. This is how you should handle this. Don't send our army. Don't send our army because we don't want any casualties in our army. But what we should do is we have so many prisoners... We have so many prisoners who are on death row that are waiting to be executed. Let us just send them with safe and let them fight. And if they win, that's great. Then you have control of Yemen. And if they lose, then they die anyways and it saves you from the trouble of having to execute them. So either way you win. So let's just release these prisoners who are on death row and let them be the army that accompanies Saif ibn Zi Yazin to take control back of Yemen. So the Kisra thought, this is a great idea. I have nothing to lose here. Either I win and I get the land 
or I lose and those prisoners who I was going to execute anyways, they get executed for free. So he thought this is a foolproof plan. This is perfect. So he releases those prisoners who were on death row and it is said that there were 800 of them and they were big criminals. So 800 of these criminals are now going to accompany safe from the Persian Empire back to Yemen. And he also sent a very good general of his to lead that army. Now this is, you know, this army of 800 people, they don't have any military experience or anything. They don't know how to fight. So they need a commander. They need a leader who can guide them in the battle. So he actually did send one of his good generals to be the leader of these prisoners, of these criminals. And the name of this general was Wuhruz. And Wuhruz was a very, very smart and a very, very uh, good soldier. And he was, he had such good aim. When he would shoot an arrow, he was able to hit his target perfectly. And he was known for this. So they sent 800 of these criminals under the command of the general Wuhruz. And he also sent eight ships, eight boats to go from Persia to Yemen. And Saif ibn Ziyazin, now he's very happy. He said, now I have my big army here, you know. They're going to help me out and we're going to get control of our land once again. So they leave and they go through the Euphrates River and then they go, go through the Persian Gulf and then they go through the Arabian Sea and finally they land at the port of Aden in Yemen. And they come off. And Saif, he had his own people there, the Arabs, that he was able to gather from before. You know, they were not very big in number, but he had some support. So he gathered them as well. And they all joined together. The Arabs that Saif had originally gathered, plus these new people from Persia, these criminals, and they formed their army under the command of the general Wuhruz. And the Ahbash, they had already gotten wind of this as well. They knew. They knew that this army is coming to fight them. They had gotten the news of it and they were ready. They were prepared. So as soon as they landed, as soon as the Persian army landed with safe, the fighting started and the Ahbash were ready for this fighting. Now, the leader of the Habashi army was Masruq himself. He took command of the army himself. He didn't appoint a general to take control. Rather, he was in control of his own army and he was in the battlefield himself. Masruq ibn Abraha. So Wuhruz, the fighting is going on and Wuhruz who is the general, the commander of the Persians, he said, show me who is the leader of this army. Who knows who is the leader of the Habashi army? So Saif ibn, ibn Ziyazin, of course he knows who it is. He said, it is Masruq, I know him. He is that one over there. Do you see the man on the elephant? He was on an elephant. Do you see the man on an elephant who has a, a red pearl on his forehead between his eyes. Masruq used to wear some jewelry and from that jewelry was a red pearl that he would have on his forehead and it was between his eyes. He said that is Masruq, he is the leader, the guy on that elephant with the red pearl in between his eyes. So Wuhruz said, okay, that's him. Let me know when he gets off of the elephant. Let me know when he gets off of that elephant. So after some time, he gets off of the elephant and he gets on a horse instead. So they tell Wuhruz, they said he got off the elephant and now he's on the horse. 
So then Wuhura said, okay, he's on the horse. Let me know when he gets off the horse. So after some time, he gets off the horse and now he is on a mule. Now he is sitting on a mule. So they tell Wuhras, yes, now he's, he's sitting on the mule. So he said, okay, now he's sitting on a mule. Okay. He is humiliated and his kingdom will now be humiliated as well. And as you know, a mule, it's a slow animal. It's a very slow animal. So the reason why Wuhras didn't want to get him while he was on the elephant or the horse was because like we said, he was a sharp shooter. He knew how to shoot that bow and that arrow. So if he's on a fast moving target, it would be very difficult to hit it. But if he's on something slow like a mule, that would be the perfect opportunity to hit him. So when Wuhruz saw that Masruq ibn Abraha is on a mule now, he said, okay, this is our chance. So he gets an arrow and he aims. And he's in the back of the army here. He's not in the front even. He's behind the army. And Masruq is pretty far away. And of course, Masruq has his people around him as well trying to defend him. But this guy, Wuhruz, was such a sharp shooter and he had such a perfect aim that he shot his arrow and hit him right in that red pearl that he had on his forehead. So the arrow hit him right in the forehead, right on that pearl, and it came out through the back of his head. So Masruq falls down, Masruq is dead. The commander of the Habashi army, the leader of Yemen is dead, and the Persians have won. So the army that Kisra sent has won this battle. So now Saif is very happy. This is what he wanted. But now they stab Saif in the back as well. They say, we're not giving it to you. We're going to keep this for ourselves. So instead of giving it to Saif ibn V. Yazin, as he hoped that they would do, this is why he asked them for their help in the first place. Now the Persians, they say, now we're going to be in control of this land. We're not going to give it back to you Yemenis. So Saif, he felt like he was stabbed in the back. And up to this day, any type of agreement that the Yemenis make with some outside forces that leads to bigger problems than they had before, they call it Uqda Saif ibn Viyazin. This is an Uqda Saif ibn Viyazin. This is like the agreement of Saif ibn Viyazin. When the Yemenis, when they try to get help from the outside, it ends up that the problems they have after that are bigger than the problems that they originally had in the first place. So this is exactly what happened. And now the, the Persians have control of Yemen. So the Kisra, he appointed a ruler to rule Yemen. And the name of this ruler was Al-Murzuban. So Al-Murzuban was the one that the Kisra appointed to rule Yemen. And after he died, then it went to uh, Taybujan. So it went from Murzuban to Taybujan. And then the Kisra, he had some problems with Taybujan. So he removed him from that position and he replaced him with a man named Badan. So the ruler of Yemen appointed by the Kisra was a man named Badan. First Al-Murzuban, then Taybujan, and the third one was Badan. Now it was during the time that Badan was the ruler of Yemen that the Prophet Sallallahu message came and the Prophet ﷺ, as we know, he sent letters to many of the different rulers, right? You know that the Prophet ﷺ sent letters to the different rulers of different kingdoms. And one of the letters that he sent was to the Kisra. 
one of the letters that the Prophet ﷺ sent was to the Kisra in Persia. And when the Kisra received this letter from the Prophet ﷺ, he was very angry and he ripped it up and threw it without even reading it. He ripped it up and threw it without even reading it. And he killed the messenger that the Prophet ﷺ sent with that letter. Imagine that. The way that they used to communicate with each other is that they would send messengers. Prophet ﷺ would have a letter and he would send a messenger to go and deliver it to the recipient. And it was commonly known from everybody that you don't kill the messenger. You don't kill the messenger. This was considered immoral and unethical in all of the kingdoms. Yet still the Kisra, out of his arrogance, out of his takabbur, he ripped up the letter of the Prophet ﷺ before even reading it and he killed the messenger as well. And when the news of this reached back to the Prophet ﷺ, he said, لَقَدْ مَزَّقَ رِسَالَتِي مَزَّقَ اللَّهُ مُلْكَ لَقَدْ مَزَّقَ رِسَالَتِي مَزَّقَ اللَّهُ مُلْكَ He ripped up my letter. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rip up his kingdom. So the Kisra, he killed the messenger of the messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam and he sent his own messenger to Badan. And we said Badan was the one that he appointed to rule Yemen. So the Kisra sent a messenger of his own to Badan because he knew that Yemen is near where the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam is. So the Kisra sent his, his messenger to Badan and gave him the message that there is this man in the Jazeera al-Arab and he wrote me such and such letter. I want you to send some people to him to bring him to me. Bring him to me. So, Badan, to obey the command of his ruler, to obey the command of the Kisra, he sent two men. He sent two men to the Prophet ﷺ. And those two men came to the Prophet ﷺ and said, just surrender yourself to us. Come with us to the Kisra. Surrender yourself to us and we will not bring our army to fight you. So then the Prophet ﷺ said, Oh, were you sent by the Kisra? And they said, Yes. And then he said, Inna Allaha qad qatala kisra al-layla. Surely Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has killed the Kisra tonight. So they said to him, okay, even if what you're saying is true, if he has died, our Kisra, if he died tonight, like you're saying, how do you know? It takes one month for news to come from Persia to here. And you're saying this happened tonight, he was killed tonight, and you're telling me right now, how do you know? And then he said, from Wahi, I get revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Your Kisra is dead, and he died tonight. So these two men are surprised. And they go back to Badan in Yemen. They go back to Yemen and they go back to Badan and they said, this, we went to him and this is what he said. He said that the Kisra was killed tonight. So then Badan says, we haven't uh, received any news about this. What day did he say that? And then they told him the exact day that he mentioned it. So Badan said, okay, let us wait. Let us wait and see if any news comes to us about this. So 14 days later, 14 days later, the message comes from Persia that the Kisra has died. And when they look into the date, when exactly 
his death occurred, it was the exact date that the Prophet ﷺ mentioned it. So Badan says, there is no way that this could have been known by anyone except a Prophet. So this man, he must be a Prophet of Allah. I believe in him. And he became a Muslim. Badan became a Muslim. And those Persians that were there in Yemen with him, they all became Muslims as well. So this is how Islam came into Yemen through the hands of Badan, who was the ruler of Yemen. Now Badan, he retained the kingdomship of Yemen and the Prophet ﷺ allowed that. The Prophet ﷺ was in agreement of that. And then after Badan died, the kingdomship of Yemen went to the son of Badan. His name was Shihr. And the Prophet ﷺ also agreed to this. He didn't try to change the leadership of Yemen. He allowed it to stay with Badan while he was alive and he allowed it to go to Shihr after Badan had died. Then towards the end of the life of the Prophet ﷺ, there was a man in Yemen, his name was Al-Aswad Al-Unsi and he was a liar. He was one of the minor Dajjals who claimed to be a prophet and he actually killed Shihr ibn Badan. And that was towards the end of the life of the Prophet ﷺ. So this is actually how Islam came into Yemen on the hands of a Persian who was appointed to rule Yemen by the name of Badan. And it shows how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guides whom he wills through his signs. The kuffar of the Quraysh, they were shown signs as well, but they didn't believe. They asked the Prophet ﷺ to split the moon into two pieces. And the Prophet ﷺ said to them, if I show you this sign that you're asking for, will you believe? They said, yes, we will believe. So the Prophet ﷺ asked Allah to show them this sign and Allah split the moon into two pieces and it was seen by the Quraysh with their own eyes. Yet still they didn't believe. They said, this is magic. They said, this is magic. So guidance is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even if a person sees all the signs, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put a seal on that person's heart, they will never be guided. Badan on the other hand, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opened his heart to Islam. He saw this sign that the Prophet sallallahu knew the exact day that the Kisra died. And there's no way that he could have known this except through revelation from Allah. So he accepted that and he became a Muslim. Guidance is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to keep us upon guidance. Don't worry, we're not skipping over anything. You may be thinking that how are we already talking about the time when the Prophet ﷺ is writing letters to the kings? No, we're not skipping anything. We have to go back and forth sometimes, inshallah, just to get uh, a good picture of exactly how things are going. Next week, inshallah, we will talk about, we'll go back to Mecca, inshallah, and we will go back to the lineage of the Prophet ﷺ and we'll talk about who, who, uh, who was the first person who began the tribe of Quraysh. Where did the Quraysh come from? And we will talk about the ancestors of the Prophet ﷺ and his lineage, inshallah. We'll get into that next week, bi-ithnillah. Wallahu a'lam wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.